0: because they ain't us hello my name is will and this is exploding helicopter the one and only podcast in the world dedicated to celebrating helicopter explosions in film when regular collaborators seth rogan and james franco teamed up to make another pure old comedy they never imagined it would land them at the center of an international controversy but that's exactly what happened when their new movie the interview provoked the ire of the north korean regime and its famously bellicose leader kim jong-un the communist dictatorship threatened dire consequences for portraying their dear leader as a dangerously deranged despot. And talking of a deluded egomaniac with a goofy haircut, I'm joined once again by my good friend Dara. How you doing, buddy? Oh, yeah, I love these introductions.
1: Uh, if I if this is if they're like an odd double act, Seth Rogen and Franco,
0: what does that what, what does that make us? Oh, a dangerous... I don't like to think too deeply about that particular question.
1: I'll be James Franco then. He's <laughs> he, didn't he want
0: to, he's won Oscars, hasn't he? I think I'm much happier being Seth Rogen. Really? Yeah, certainly on the evidence of this film, because... Uh, yeah, it's true, actually. Because he, looks, he at least looks like a semi-decent actor, but uh, we'll kind of get into that uh, a little bit later. But, All right. Uh, yeah. I mean, I uh, was thinking, though, when I was writing my uh, derogatory... Uh, introduction for you that you <laughs> that your fashion sense does remind me some of a dictator
1: what well how's this well, what is it what what on earth is it I've, i don't think come on here to be insulted let
0: me tell you explain yourself well it's because you have a somewhat eccentric disregard for a taste and decency <laughs> you know what my girlfriend would
1: probably agree with you on that but <laughs> i've never seen it i'm, I'm impeccable tastes i have I can't believe this, Well,
0: I'm offended. That lack of self-awareness, it's probably a good thing for you. But you can look in the mirror in the morning and just think, yeah, I am looking absolutely hot to trot.
1: Yeah, there's something to be said with having, uh, being well brought up and being having the confidence of your mother and father. And then when you get into later life, you can do whatever you want and just
0: think you're great. Some of these uh, dictators are quite well known for their uh, somewhat bizarre fashion taste, is there? Have you got a particular favourite? Oh, that's a good one. That's a very good question.
1: I don't know. uh, I I think if I was to go down any road, I'd like to go down the Gaddafi road. Because as dictators go, he was kind of the most out there. used to go, you know, wearing all-white military fatigues. He would wear, like, army outfits with... You know those, what are those, those things called when you when you win a medal and you get like a little coloured badge on your, on your lapel? Ooh, I, I
0: don't can't remember know. What they're called.
1: But he would come and like literally it would be like a parody of himself. His whole kind of tunic covered in these things. <laughs> He's barely ever, you know, ever got in a tank or done anything. So
0: I think I'd follow his lead. If you're going to go crazy, go big, that's what I say. I think he also had a personal bodyguard who were called the Green Nuns of the Revolution.
1: That sounds good. What did they do?
0: Well, I think they were his bodyguards, so I think they protected him from uh, whatever threats were uh, availing themselves of him. And by bodyguards, you mean they touched his body? Is that is that what they were there for? I, I think they were armed. I think they were there to protect his safety. I don't think that he was. Uh, I don't think they were providing that type of personal security. Oh,
1: really? Uh, he's, he he doesn't strike me as someone who would abuse his position in Gaddafi. So maybe <laughs> you may be right on that one. Okay,
0: well, uh, enough uh, enough diversions. Uh, I thought, why don't we uh, why don't we sort of uh, move back on to matters film related? And uh, before we get into the interview, I always like to check in with you about what films you've been watching lately. So I wonder what you got for me, mate.
1: Regular listeners would know that my day job really is watching highbrow films. I don't, you know, I like to slum it with you, Will. Help you out <laughs> with with this with this detritus that I'm forced to watch. It's, you know, it's a kind of, uh, I suppose. For my usual balanced diet, it's good to have like a dirty hamburger every so often. So, you know, my usual diet is quality films. And with that in mind, yesterday I watched um, I, Daniel Blake. I don't know if this has got a a wider release away from the UK. It's a very UK centric film directed by Ken Loach, who people I'm sure film buffs would know. He's He's a kind of kitchen sink director. He's done a lot of very traditional English films. No Hollywood glitz or glamour. They're very down to earth. This one, I Daniel Blake, won tons of awards uh, last year, got a palm d'or at Cannes. Basically is about a fifty nine year old out of work joiner living in the northeast of England, I think it's in Newcastle. Basically, following his struggles with the benefit system, he kind of, he's kind of living through the new austerity Britain Tory government benefit system where all benefits have been cut for you know anyone with disabilities and he's finding himself in a kind of catch twenty two orwellian nightmare where he just can't get you know he's he's genuinely sick has he's had a heart attack so he can't work but he's been the people at the benefits agency said he doesn't qualify for benefits so he has to kind of work the system trying to you know make ends meet getting his job seekers allowance and while pretending to look for work even though he can't work and then he meets someone uh also fairly destitute i won't go into too much detail i don't want to spoil it because it's it's a fantastic film don't watch it if you're feeling a bit depressed because you're liable to cut your wrists (laughs) it's very grim the ending is very very moving and i would recommend it but it's not a happy day uh,
0: sad day movie have you seen other ken loach films where would you put this against some of the other stuff that he's done i have to be honest i've not seen a lot of them because they are
1: quite gritty and you've got to be in the mood for them I, I know he's, uh, he did Kez, didn't he, back in the day? He did, a long was, time ago. Yeah, a long time ago. I think that was one of his first ones. That's very light, ridiculously light-hearted compared to this. <laughs> I don't know what, have, have you seen much of his oeuvre, Ken Loach? I don't know. Uh,
0: I haven't movie. seen huge chunks of it. I've seen Kez, and I've seen, he did a film called Wind That Shakes the Barley. Oh, okay, I've heard of that. Which was pretty good from what I remember. Oh, he did an absolutely awful film called Something Like Looking for Eric. This, okay. like, Eric Canton. The idea is some sort of Eric Cantonar thing.
1: I've seen that where, isn't it where Eric Cantona, He. this guy dreams that he's, like, living with Eric Cantona or Eric Cantonar's his friend or something?
0: Yeah, it's something I, I, I saw those. that. I
1: thought, it was, I thought that was okay. No?
0: Oh, I really disliked that film oh okay i can't really remember the details of why it was a long time ago since i saw it
1: it was a bit is it he's a bit of auteur i would say Ken Loach, but not in the kind of crazy wacky camera angles way he he deals with issues that are kind of current but it's always very low to the ground very
0: kind of gritty uh oh yeah his work is rooted in the real world and yeah. You know that that's what he's done throughout his career. So it's uh, it sounds like this film is if you're into Ken Loach you'll like it. Uh, if you're not into Ken Loach you're probably not going to like it.
1: I think that's fair. It is a great film. I mean, I, you know, it's quite nice to see sometimes films like, like this which are not. You know, we see a lot of Hollywood films. You know, Hollywood makes you know the bulk of the films that we we get to digest.
0: So it's quite nice to see something that's slightly different. Maybe that's why I enjoyed it. Okay, I think it's time we start our interrogation of the interview. So let's listen to a short snippet of snappily cut together gags designed to project this film as an uproarious comedy. Hello, who this? This is the Secretary of Communication for North Korea. Our Supreme Leader Kim Jong Un is interested in doing an interview with Dave Skylark. Oh my god. We will meet 50 kilometers west of Deng Dong, northeastern China. Did you just say China? And did you just say Dong? Three weeks from tonight, I will be traveling to Pyongyang, North Korea, to interview President Kim Jong-un. Mr. Rappaport, I'm Agent Lacey with Central Intelligence. You two are going mm-hmm. to be in a room alone with Kim, and the CIA would love it
1: if you could take him out. Hmm? Take him out. For coffee? Dinner. For oh, kimchi? No, uh... Take him out. You want us to kill the leader
0: of North Korea?
1: Yes. Hello, North Korea!
0: (laughs) The interview came out in 2014. The film stars Seth Rogen and James Franco as journalists for a supremely tacky entertainment news show. But after they secure an interview with Kim Jong-un, the reclusive leader of North Korea, they're recruited by the CIA into a plot to assassinate the despotic dictator. The film's release was not without considerable controversy. The North Korean government, angered by the film's plot and depiction of its country, called the movie a blatant act of terrorism and war. Sony, the studio behind the film, then delayed the release of the movie in order to make a number of changes, including to the film's controversial ending, which saw the North Korean president killed. Then, a month before release, Sony's computer system was mysteriously hacked, leading to the release of embarrassing emails and threats against any cinema showing the film. This led to the cancellation of Movie's nationwide release, but after figures from politics and entertainment rallied behind a banner of free speech, the interview did receive a limited theatrical release alongside being made available digitally. The interview received a lukewarm critical response. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, it's got a 51% critical rating and a 48% audience rating. But uh, more importantly, let's find out what my good mate Dara, what did you make of this? All I can think is that the
1: celebrities and the assorted people from the film world who pushed to get this film released never actually watched the film before giving it, uh, you know, the the thumbs up. Because I've written down here, excuse our viewers who are under 16, but this is a terrible film and i underlined the f word you can beat me out later i just it was just so unoriginal and unfunny and ideas you've kind of heard 100 times before it's just gross out humor just no panache don't get me wrong i can deal with gross humor i can deal with sex willy bum jokes whatever but he's just done without any kind of style at all so unfunny i think there's about four points in this film where i just kind of chuckled very briefly <laughs> and it's about it's a two hour almost two hours long i can't believe it. it's two hours long uh, it feels every minute
0: of those two hours. it
1: feels every minute of those two hours the original concept was you can tell it's uh it was done by rogan and franco they're quite obviously quite good mates i've done a lot of films together screenplay written by dan sterling who's worked on the daily show in the office you know you had such a possibility of this film being excellent proper satirical look at the world today and you know a very unusual country north korea with a very unusual dictatorship perfect recipe for a great film But this is so mundane and basic that
0: if it wasn't for all the publicity, no one would watch this film. Terrible. Well for me I thought it was ironic that this film you know nearly resulted in World War 3 because for many people nuclear Armageddon would probably be preferable to watching this <laughs> absolutely <laughs> awful awful film I mean it uh, it seems to have a script by brain damaged 12 year old it's all fart jokes sex jokes and there's a really uncomfortable vein of humor based on foreign stereotypes and yeah as we've already said, if this wasn't bad enough, the whole thing lasts for an inexcusable two hours. And the only noteworthy aspect of this film is that it is so lazy in its execution. And it's mind boggling how a film this mediocre could create such huge consequences putting things up your
1: ass is not funny unless you're a seven year old you know it's <laughs> it, it's so childish the humour in it like it's almost like it's never they didn't go through a script prose I don't know what maybe they wrote it where they we know uh, Rogan likes Sir Toke and uh, probably this film would be a hell of a lot more funny if you were stoned maybe he wrote it stoned because that's the only way I can see that some of these jokes pass quality
0: control well what do you think the sort of style of humour is in this movie because it's trying to position itself as a satire but the humour here it's all genitals and toilet humour
1: <laughs> yeah satire shatire more like
0: <laughs> see what I've done there
1: see what I've done there yeah it's it's, it's actually quite racist and not the good kind of racism <laughs> things that like they're making jokes about Stalin not sounding the same as Stallone when it's coming out of a it's just not funny just not I mean, it's awful, isn't it? It's awful. I don't know how, yeah, script editing and stuff. Don't they filter? I thought, you know, like processing films is you come up with a story, then you've got a script and there's like four or five drafts of a script and they like hone the script down. So all the, you know, fat is taken off it. So it's just the jokes. That's how I've, you know, when I, when I see these, um, Blu-ray special editions where you see the kind of making of a film, that's the kind of process
0: in my mind, how a film gets made. If you think back to some of the great comedy movies, they tend to be. Uh, very short and tight movies so something yeah. like the naked gun is only 85 minutes long and i can't think of many great comedy movies which are much more than 90 minutes long because an just, hour and a
1: half exactly yeah
0: i just don't think you can sustain a barrage of jokes over a much longer time period and this to clock in at one hour 53 just reeks of insufficient editing and it's it's, it's obvious that in parts of this film there are the whole chunks of this movie completely unnecessary so that the whole really painful sequence where seth rogan is is sort of traveling through china i don't really know why that section is there it, it doesn't advance the plot in any way i think it's only there to sort of show that
1: it's actually wrote, filmed on location maybe
0: yeah or, or that he isn't a complete racist because every other asian person that he meets after that he treats you know he treats uh you know absolutely abysmally he's either he's either trying to screw them bite their fingers off or you know insert something up their rectum yeah it's a non that scene
1: with the biting the fingers is just a, it's really weird and really out of kilter i mean i i was looking through this and apparently because of this north korean situation they thought might be delicate so they actually the script was very highly researched so i've read (laughs) and uh it was read by a member of the state department before it actually went for release so if, if i was given the benefit of the doubt i would say the state department said you can't say these kind of jokes about north korea due to the volatile situation and just left the kind of basic bum and poo jokes or If I was being honest, I'd say they, as you said, probably worked far too closely together. They might have even, you know, they probably produced the film as well. So there's not much outside influence to tell
0: them this isn't funny, guys. Can you up the ante or do something else? Well, you know what? else i thought when i was watching this film i my mind wandered to back to the to dinner Black, well, to <laughs> well it wandered to many things because it wasn't really <laughs> gripping my attention but no. i started thinking about blackadder and specifically the blackadder goes forth series which was set during the first world war and you had any number of jokes relating to toilet humour in that series, but also you had a really scalpel-sharp satire about the attitudes of the political classes Uh during the First World War. So it's completely possible to combine satire and a more base puerile type humor but this film it just for me there's no satire at work here and there's no
1: intelligence there's nothing there's no intelligence behind a lot of these things they kind of mention one there's one or two bits in passing where they're talking about the actual regime i, I guess the kind of nearest you'll get to satire i suppose i thought was the bit where they when they're showing seth rogan the delights of pyongyang and he sees um obviously he's heard stories about. There being famine and the the people in North Korea not having enough to eat, and he sees a store that looks, you know, for all intents and purposes, Mm. full of fruit and vegetables. And then he goes there late at night on his own and finds out it's just a cardboard cutout and it's all pictures on a wall. That was kind of the nearest thing to uh, satire or something interesting, or you know, how you know, reflection on how North Korea is kind of pulling the, the wool over the the rest of the world's eyes and they're doing that with their own population. But apart from that, it was very, very child like i could expect like
0: a six form film made six forms could have made a film like this well yeah i mean every joke seth rogan makes in this film relates to his own genitals and you know he may find his wedding tackle endlessly fascinating but <laughs> i think the rest of the western world is just not that interested and you know we're sort of we're talking about the sort of the humor here and a, a large chunk of this humor does seem to revolve around people's backsides and you know i don't know what you made of that dara there is a lot of it in
1: there and it's it's funny that we have to actually mention it as a topic of this film but uh (laughs) Maybe because the the humour, as we've said, was just so bad, it's so so poor that we've noticed how you know what what is why is it so poor? And it is because there's a lot of this toilet humour stuff, you know. And like you know, in its place it can be funny, but not if you keep on making a two hour film with the same kind of things over and over again. It just gets dull. It's like a like a toddler doing the same thing over and over again for two hours. You just want to crack it around the head eventually.
0: Well, let's get into talking about some of the performances here. And uh, what did you think of uh, Seth Rogen? What did you think of uh, James Franco? They're the two leads in this.
1: Well, you know, Seth Rogen's okay, kind of doing that
0: lovable,
1: sort of chubby flubster that (laughs) he's all it's kind of does the same. He's not. He's pretty much the same guy in all of his. You no, know, nice guy. You probably go for a pint with him, sort of thing. You know that he's got every man kind of. Well, he could hardly play a bulimic, could he? He can a bulimic. I don't really mean kind of his weight. He's kind of his kind of like fumbly attitude. You know, kind of half funny, half. He's he's,
0: he's everyone's fat best friend, aren't they?
1: Fat best friend, taking down the pub. Fine, doing the same. You know, not horrible, not great. Now, James Franco, who has done some decent films. You no, know, I I saw is it 128 hours the 127. one where 127 128 as a sequel as a sequel ah uh, yeah he's excellent in that obviously a lot of it he was in a brick wall not talking to anyone and just kind of <laughs> acting with a rock under his hand so he's good he's good with that and he's weird but yeah I quite like James Franco he's done he's done some decent films he's terrible <laughs> like he's really bad because he's supposed to be like a just, I just didn't buy him. He's obviously a mate of Seth Rogen. Said, so, "Look, I'm doing this film. Do you want to do a part? Who can I be? Oh, you can be this guy. All right, I'll be this guy. No casting. There's no casting agent got involved with this. It's like this was a friend's phone call saying you want to be in my film." I thought James
0: Franco was terrible in this. I mean, his perform- hes just—it's just grotesque mugging. His entire performance—he's just gurning constantly at the camera, and I felt his performance really jarred with Seth Rogen's. It, it just felt like um, they just felt like uh, opposite ends of a magnet, repelling against each other.
1: You say about mugging to the camera. Someone like Will Ferrell—he does that, and I could probably have seen him do a much better job than James Franco did in this for the kind of thing he was trying to you know kind of like a, an egotistical kind of failing uh, interviewer i thought he was awful and he kind of it just goes along with the, the sort of sloppy plot and sloppy di- sloppy uh yeah sloppy plot sloppy casting
0: you, you lose interest in this film very quickly is there? anything good that we can take away from this film were there any memorable scenes here let's let's try and find the good here okay
1: I've written them down because there were so few I actually managed to write them down so I think I laughed I, I kind of chuckled when James Franco was imitating in multiple fellatio at the same time I don't you remember that scene is kind of like going, ah, that I remember, bit yeah. <laughs> that was quite that was funny for a little bit maybe like in the, you know in the desert a, a thirsty man will drink camel urine because that's all that's available there was one bit where they were there was three little chinese boys playing guitars and that was i think that was it two good things i didn't see anything else good the rest there was some really odd scenes that we talked about them there's
0: one bit at the end where he's biting, bite they're biting fingers off each other in the yeah that is such an odd scene it's like suddenly the film has turned into a zombie movie it's like you're watching dawn of the dead all of a sudden yeah This is that sort of thing, like a really slapdash approach to this film. That bit just reeked of them having run out of ideas and they didn't really know what to do next.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That was just completely incomprehensible.
0: For me, there was one good joke in this film, and uh, I can't quite remember who exactly gets the line, but there's a line in the film where one of the North Korean characters says, how many times can America make the same mistake? And I think it's James Franco says, as many times as it takes. And I thought that was a kind of one genuine satirical joke in the movie which amused me, but aside from that, there was there was nothing here. I I, you know, I think you've done well to come up with as many memorable scenes as that. The
1: saving grace of this film, the one thing that redeems it, unfortunately, is the, the line, is the area that we uh, specialise in, is the exploding helicopter. The film, if I were to give it a rating, I'd probably give it an F. The exploding helicopter in this film, I'd have to give it an A+.
0: Well, don't shoot your bolts too early because we'll be getting to all of that very soon. Just simmer yourself back down. Okay, but I'm before excited. we before we sort of move on to that part of the podcast, well, let's sort of wrap this section up by I mean, I wanted to have a sort of a chat about about what the controversy surrounding this film says about the sort of state of Hollywood because essentially Hollywood bottled the release of this film and i think that raises some for me anyway some troubling things about the nature of uh, free speech to be fair, this is the
1: world we live in now. Terrorism was threatened against any studio or any um, film theatre that showed this film, these, these uh, I think they're called Gardens of Peace. You know, you can threaten to do anything these days and people will take it seriously because there's been so much terrorism around the world, so many bombings and, you know, all sorts of countries from the West to the East, everywhere. So if someone says, we're going to bomb your film theatres if you release this film, you are going to take it seriously. And can you imagine if, I don't know who which film company released, this film so if uh, sony say sony said we're not going to give in to terrorism we're gonna we're gonna show this film in all of our 300 cinemas and bomb goes off and kills 30 people in, in the u.s can you imagine the lawsuits it just it would never happen we're in we're in such a state of fear now i remember I, I was reading rogan basically was saying he was hoping that bootleg copies of this film would f- find their way to north korea the <laughs> cause of revolution i mean what a joke there's no you know if i'm sure that apparently it's quite popular lots of north koreans try to get hold of this on like dodgy chinese dvds or whatever smuggled into the country but i don't see any
0: revolution based on this film i have to say Dor- I'm, I'm quite troubled by your response to this question because you're effectively sort of saying that's the world we live in and you know well what? it is if, if it someone is most... if someone we can tr- pretend we're going to stand by these lofty principles but anyone anytime somebody shakes a stick at us we're just going to roll over on our backs i mean that's well what do you want to do do
1: you, you want to have um, metal detectors at every cinema
0: to make sure that people don't go in there with bombs and guns how how, how else are you going to get around it and your response to that is to just capitulate in the face of it well what's the old, what's your other option Well, the other the other option is to do essentially what happened with this film is that it did eventually get a theatrical release. It got a limited it got a limited release. It was like straight to DVD, which
1: really pretty much where it should have been in the first place. (laughs) But, you know, I see I do see your point. Where where do we go? You know, what kind of challenging films will get made if everyone bows to these kind of reactions? But I don't I find that hard in this climate to see an alternative.
0: Well, on that troubling note, yeah, a that... sad
1: a sad day for creative expression. Not my words, the words of Steve Carell. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's well, the, he's the, the bellwether for this kind of, uh, you know, artistic he's, the type
0: of, he's the type of scholar we should be looking to in these troubled times. So on that dark note, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about the exploding helicopter action.
1: Why haven't you seen To Kill a Mockingbird?
0: I was too busy rewatching the Marvel Cinematic Universe films again. Why haven't you seen Mad Max? Do you know how hard it is to track down a copy of The Return of Captain Invincible?
1: Why haven't you seen The Texas
0: Chainsaw Massacre? Did you know that Road to Perdition was originally a comic book? Sure. Why Why <clears throat> This is Bubba Weep from Flights, Tights, and Movie Nights, and on each episode of FilmWise, my guest introduces me to a film that they're passionate about and I've never seen before, and in return, I introduce them to a comic book or superhero film that they're curious about. Find it every other week at FilmWise.com, iTunes, or Stitcher we're back and now we're looking at the exploding helicopter action this occurs at the climax of the film after the initial plan to kill kim jong-un with poison goes tits up the good guys try to make their escape in a hijacked tank they're pursued by the deranged despot in a sikorsky s61 n1 while he tries to order a nuclear strike against america moments before he can order the launch our heroes fire a shell from the tank into the helicopter destroying the whirlybird and killing everyone on board dara what did you make of the experience? Well,
1: I think I I did sort of show my hand a little bit earlier on in the podcast. This is probably one of the best chopper fireballs I've ever seen in in the history of cinema, which is amazing (laughs) in such a poor film contained within such a poor film, which may say something about I've, I've just i've just had a thought it might even say something about our our quest will to show the world the beauty of chopper fireballs it could just be one massive cliche that we're trying to we're trying to promote here because this film is all about lazy script writing and you know lazy <laughs> ideas and what i enjoyed the most was kind of every box ticked in the kind of exploding helicopter cannon yeah. you know you've got your slow motion You've got your guys in the helicopter actually going on flame, and you can see them burn. I really like that. We we always like that. You see sort of evocative music. They they play an acoustic version of Katy Perry's Firework as as the kind of missiles travelling through the air. It's all done in slow motion. You see the wreckage beautifully shot in slow mo fall to the floor. All the things that we we look for in these films. Every single
0: one we're catered to. Well there can surely be no better film for delivering a lazy cliche than The Interview <laughs> because that's essentially what it does uh, throughout the movie. So what cliche is more lazy than an exploding helicopter in a movie? So I guess, uh, I guess so. This is not even an original idea because this is basically the end of Rambo 3. Well, it's actually we've actually seen uh, tank on helicopter action uh, quite a few times in, in film before. Obviously, uh, Rambo 3 is I think probably the pièce de résistance of yeah. the uh, uh, tank versus uh, helicopter duels but we've also seen tank on helicopter action in the triple x sequel triple x the next level or State Uh of the Union, depending on uh, which uh, country you're in. And also in the rapper painfully, painfully partnered with a Kung Fu martial artist in the uh, action uh, thriller Cradle to the Grave. Tom Arnold, of all people, (laughs) fires a tank at a helicopter and brings it down. Wowzers. Do do I need to see that film? Uh, You may well be seeing that film because I will... (laughs) I will be uh, I will be uh, asking you to watch it in the uh, in the course of this podcast, Dara.
1: Oh dear, I think uh, I think I might be busy for the rest of 2017. I'm a very busy man. You love Tom Arnold. <laughs> Tom Arnold, I, I like I like his knockabout. Uh, he, he is he is the 1980s answer to Seth Rogen in many ways. <laughs> He's kind of that. Man next door, cho- cheeky chubby, quite funny, taken for a pint, it'd be amusing. What, what Tom Arnold, is he still paying off the alimony
0: to Roseanne? I would imagine it's the other way round. I'd imagine she's paying him. <laughs> she, was uh, much, yeah. she was much richer than uh, than he was. Oh,
1: that's not how it works, though, if you get divorced. I think I think the, the women just get it all. Doesn't matter who owns what. I haven't gone down that road. <laughs> Let me tell them, the listeners, you know, I, I, I plan on being, uh, you
0: know, happily married for a long time. But maybe I do need to watch this film. Going back to the exploding helicopter though, I do, I agree with everything that you said. The acoustic Katy Perry track was great. The, I enjoyed the use of uh, slow mo. And we do see the wreckage fall to the ground. We've picked up on that before. We like to see wreckage falling to the ground. It gives us, gives us closure on the sequence. But the wreckage falls, it's obscured behind the tank.
1: Will, you're such a hard taskmaster. It's beautiful, you know. You see that whole, you see tons of burning debris and rotor blades turning. Yes, and the bulk of it goes around the tank, but the tank is then silhouetted against the explosion in perfect action cliche like like Wolverine in X Men as the tank is going away from the explosion and the lovely orange yellow glow behind it. Perfect. They've. They've done everything. You even see the kind of missile crumple into the fuselage because it's going so slow. And you see the, the metal buckle as it hits before the explosion slowly ripples. It, the explosion
0: is a work of art. Look, Doug, I'm on the quest to see the perfect exploding helicopter. And I'm going to call out filmmakers on the kind of schoolboy errors that they're making like this. The hero oh. of this scene is the exploding <laughs> helicopter. It's not that freaking dank.
1: All right, okay. We we I think we've established you're not you're not what would you give this in? I was I gave it an A plus. I think I might have gone exaggerated a little bit there. I'll give it an A. What would you give this?
0: I would give this or oh, A minus maybe. All right.
1: I think that's fine. Okay, fine.
0: I was thinking right. about being very stingy and saying B plus, but I'm going to No, there's no go. way.
1: There's no way this is a B plus. You're a madman if you say this is a B plus. <laughs>
0: It gets an A-minus from me. So, All right, uh, okay. We can part happy. We're still friends. Yeah, we're still friends. And, you know,
1: I guess if you've seen Perfection, you won't want to do this podcast anymore.
0: Well, you can hope for that moment, Dara.
1: <laughs> Just tell me it's over. <laughs> tell me when the nightmare finishes.
0: <laughs> well, the nightmare may well start soon when we do Cradle to the Grave. All right, mate. I look forward to it. Well, I think it's time to wrap this show up. Dara, thanks for coming on again. I hope it wasn't too painful for you.
1: Uh, it, was, it was more enjoyable than the film. Let's put it like that.
0: As always, don't forget to check out the Exploding Helicopter website, where you can find a whole bunch of vaguely amusing reviews of other films. We'll be back soon. But until then, keep watching the skies for those Exploding Helicopters. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. What is there to be jealous of? F hate us because they ain't us. They hate us because we ain't us? What the f*** does an ain't us have to do with they this? They hate us because they ain't us. That's not what it is. Yes, it is. No,
1: it's not. They hate us because we is us, and what we is doing is f***ing terrible. They f***ing
0: hate us because they ain't Stop us. Stop saying that. Hate us because they ain't us. They don't hate us cuz they, they ain't. They us. don't hate us cuz they ain't. I used to us. do the haters cause They the us cuz they ain't. Stop it. Stop it. Don't say it again. Shh. Baby, haters gonna hate
1: and <sighs> ainers gonna ain't.